Good morning. Go ahead and stand, and I'll pray us in here. If you're online, we're excited you're here. I love that the sun's out, the snow's sparkling. We made it, right? It's a little deep, but we live in Michigan. <laughs> All right, God, just come. Holy Spirit, come. I ask that you would just rest on us, that you would move in us, that you would help us to let go of things maybe we're holding on to. And I ask that, Lord God, you would bring about some promises today that we've been waiting for. And I pray that in Jesus' name.
This is my surrender. This is my surrender. Here is where I lay it down. Every lion, every doubt. This is my surrender. Yes, I will make room for you.
prayer that I've ever prayed was pretty simple. I remember the place, I remember the time, I remember the day. I just simply said, I give up. I surrender. And it changed everything. Everything for me. Because I was tired of trying to do things on my own. I was trying to tired of taking control and then losing control. I needed to give it to the only one who had control over all things. We're gonna make room in our time of worship now for God to move. And if you've come with a need, great or small, maybe the Lord's just laid on your heart today, that today's the day you're just gonna go, okay, God, I surrender. I'm gonna let you have this. I tell you, it will change everything. We just believe that through God's power and his presence that's here, that things change that quickly in a moment if we just say yes to him. So if you have a need here, great or small, if you'll just find a posture by sitting where you're at, others will gather around and just be praying over you and praying with you. And we just want to make room and go before our Heavenly Father this morning. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that there is no name under heaven by which we can be saved other than yours. You're it. You're all we need. And Lord, there are times when we, we may have surrendered to you before, but we need to do it again and again and again because we are guilty, Lord. Forgive us. We are guilty of trying to take control, but the best place we can be is in a place of surrender and a posture where we say, God, I'm yours and you are mine. And so today, Lord, whatever these needs are, they may be physical needs, they may be emotional needs, it may be broken relationships, financial crises. Lord, whatever it is, I pray that we would just leave it in your hands today. Say, God, would you do something with this? Because we can't. And God, even now, I pray that you would move in our midst, that there would be answers to prayer that there would be movement of your Holy Spirit, that miracles would take place because of our heart of surrender today, Lord. God, we are just thankful that we can come together as a local body, a congregation together representing the body of Christ. But Lord, we are one expression of your church. We just pray for other expressions in our community. And today we just wanna lift up the Church of the Dunes, 
for their leadership, Lord, that they would, that you would give them discernment, that you would give them direction, that you would give them vision as to how they should live out and lead the gospel in this community. And Father, we pray for our global church. And today we, we are thankful for our partners in the Turkic Arabic field who are bringing leadership there to all of our missionaries and national pastors. We thank you for the answers of prayer that they receive their visas and can continue the ministry that they're doing. And God, we are crying out and we are asking for more individuals to be sent to that field. And just the news that we are hearing that in Central and South America, there are people who are being raised up to go to the Turkic Arabic field. Everywhere to everywhere, Lord, we pray for more of that today. And God, for the remainder of our service now, we just pray that you would continue to move, that you would speak to us. And God, that throughout this week, we would continue to have a posture of surrender to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You may have a seat. Well, thank you for joining us today, uh, last Sunday of January, and this is a fifth Sunday. Uh, that only happens four times a year, and so something that's unique that's happening today is we have our Outreach Sunday. So it's just a focus on things that we do locally and globally, and there's representation out in our lobby. If you're watching online, uh, there's ways that you can engage with this. But those of you who are here in Spring Lake, if you go out these doors, you'll see a table for Immigrant Connection that is a denominational organization that works to provide low-cost uh, uh, legal help to those who are becoming U.S. citizens. And so we've, we've done some things with them in the past. Kids Hope is here, and uh, we just heard word this week that at our Muskegon campus, they have opened up Kids Hope for Bunker Elementary School. So we've been working on that. Yes, praise the Lord. So if you have an hour a week to give to younger children who need to have a friend, who need to have support, who need to have tutoring, they're... It's available through Kids Hope. We partner at Jeffers here in Spring Lake and now at Bunker up in Muskegon. So no matter where you live, there's opportunities for you to get connected. There's information about that out in the lobby. And then finally, uh, we have a team that's going to Ethiopia in October, and we have an informational dinner coming up in another week, so you can sign up for more information about the trip. But we also have... Um, more than 150 kids supported uh, by our congregation in Ethiopia at our care point, but we still have some kids who are not sponsored. So if you are interested in finding out more information about that, we have a team from Children's Hope Chest that is here today, and we have children that you can talk to them about. And uh, this morning we had uh, three families uh, sponsor a child from our first hour. So that was awesome. Yeah. So anyway, we're looking for more. And uh, if you want to know more information, see me afterwards. This is a time, though, in our service where we take up our tithes and offerings. And uh, if you're not a part of All Shores, uh, we just hope that this service is a gift to you. We'd love to connect with you. Uh, and there is a QR code on the seat backs in front of you. You can take out your phone, and it's a form that you can let us know who you are, what you're interested in, if you want more information. But for those of you who are a part of All Shores... We just so appreciate your giving to the kingdom that goes locally, regionally, and globally and uh, really makes a, an impact for the kingdom. 
And so we thank you for doing that. There are multiple ways you can give. You can give online. Uh, I believe there's a text that you can send. And then we have boxes at each of our uh, exits and entryways uh, and envelopes that, for you to, to give. So thank you for doing that. I believe that's all I have, but we have more announcements. So please take a look at the screens. Hey, All Shores family. I am really excited about an event that's coming up. In fact, it's one of my favorite events that we do as a church here at All Shores. On February 18th, we're gonna have our Celebrate Marriage event. And I just personally wanna invite you to come and to be a part of that. We're gonna invite Danielle and John Freed as our speakers to come and just encourage us around healthy marriages. We've also got Megan Stark coming. Uh, she's been playing music for a number of years and just came out with her first album. And so she'll be there to provide entertainment. And then we'll also have a great meal. And again, I just wanna encourage you to be a part of it. It's $30 per couple. You can find out more information about the event itself at allshores.org backslash events. But come on out and be a part of a great event to encourage your marriage. God, I am reminded of how you've been present in my life, in both the ups and the downs. As I have thought about the ways you've comforted me, showered me with your love, my heart is filled with thankfulness. Help me to not forget how you've always been present in every situation. In this next season, 
I am asking that you create within me a greater dependence on you, that I would hunger and thirst for your presence, that I would grow in my connection with you and with others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome those joining us online and all of you here at our Spring Lake campus. In just a minute, I'm going to invite you to pray as we end the final week of a series that we've titled 21 Days of Prayer and specific to that. But I need your help this morning. Um, and last service, I actually moved the TV, but you were already here, so you know we have a platform back there, you may notice. And normally, one of our keyboards is back there, and they tell me that so that their stature is more copacetic with everyone else. So I need to ask you a question because you might have seen that I was put back there today. So they projected two possible reasons. I'm curious which of the two you think it might be. The first is indeed that my stature is so low that it needed a boost. That's one of them. I'm glad that makes you clap. I'm really not even sure how to take that, but I appreciate it. The other was that last week teaching on pride, perhaps I either elevated myself or think I am, and that's why they did it. So Option A, option B, what do you think? It's good. You're much kinder because last service they told me both. Very clearly, very strongly, without reservation. So, so I'm going to invite you to pray in the quiet, and perhaps some of that's for me. Uh, but what we do when we pray before we open the scriptures is we're, we're really solidifying something that we believe, which is very simply, I'm not going to give you enough information or persuasion to move you but we believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. We believe whether you're here and in a place that you go, I'm not even open to God, I have questions, concerns, doubts, struggles, whether you'd say I'm fully engaged in my life in Jesus, whether you're somewhere in between, whether you're moving in a bad direction or moving in a good direction, the beauty is God wants to speak to you. So we'd just say we'd like you to pray, honestly. And honestly means you can say whatever you want. I don't think you're here. I struggle. Where are you? I need you. It could be, I deeply want you, anywhere in between. You pray in the quiet, and then I'll pray for us together. Lord, I am so thankful that you want to reveal yourself to us, every single one of us. I thank you that every person in this place, online, that will watch later, you care about. So Lord, I am simply asking that you'd make them aware of you, that you'd do what each of us need. Where we are hard-hearted, that you'd soften us. Where we're beaten down, that you'd build us up. Where we're hurting and broken, that you'd comfort us. We're praying you'd reveal Jesus. So Lord, anything that I have to say that's not from you, let it fall to the ground, let it be forgotten. But I am asking that whatever is from you, somewhere in our very own soul, in our spirit, we would sense your spirit, and we would be moved, encouraged, and built up in you. Somehow, Lord, move us closer to Jesus. I pray now the words I speak, the way we respond in our hearts and actions would please you, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody said, amen. 
So when we begin the year, we've done this for the last three or four years, we've had a time that we call 21 days of prayer. Very simply, that we recalibrate. We're kind of saying at the beginning of the year, the first thing we're going to do is seek God. And we have things we've asked you to pray with us for, for the whole church. We encourage you to discover things in your own place. And we kind of set a different rhythm that we hope not just starts our year, but informs our year, that something happens in us. And that's one of the joys. I've heard countless reports of people saying, hey, I haven't done this before. Now I'm praying every day. I haven't even done it at the same time. And something's happening as I pursue Jesus that's forming in me. So our desire is not just to have it, but to move forward. So in this season, as we've had these 21 days of prayer, we've looked at a passage in, of all books, Deuteronomy. Now, if you've not been around the church at all, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's called the Torah. You also can call the whole Hebrew Bible that, but oftentimes it's those first five books. And so for many, they get to Deuteronomy, and it just is like, please don't make me do this. Yet we said this earlier, it's the most quoted book of the Bible by Jesus in all of his walking of the earth. So you go, there must be some great stuff in there. And what we're looking at is one chapter. Now, when we say a chapter, it doesn't mean it's a bunch of pages. A chapter in the Bible is often a page. So it can be misleading if you don't know that in the scriptures. And we're looking at chapter 8. And what we've said about it, so I'm going to set the course back to where we've been just as a little way of review. This uh, is the trunk that um, I want to say that I lived in for a long time because I'd fit. But no, this is a trunk that my grandpa had. It's all he had when he immigrated from Lithuania to the United States. And, uh, and I actually keep it in my office, just in my home office, because I, I love remind. it kind of reminds me, this is where I'm from. This is part of my legacy. But what we use this for in this picture and in this metaphor of this text is very simply that where we're at in Deuteronomy is Israel has been in the desert for 40 years, and they're about to enter what's called the land of promise, the land of milk and honey, the land of abundance, all that God intended for them. And what he's doing is he's giving them clarity, commandments, advice as they're about to enter. And so it helps us to think of it like a metaphor. Like we bring a trunk of what matters to us most. What he's saying is, I want you to bring this with you as you enter this new land. This will help you bring who you are as my people. And we said this in the first week, he talked specifically. I'm just going to briefly go back. But we talked about how one of the things that God told Moses to tell the people was, listen, you need to remember how you were dependent on me, that you don't live on bread alone, but every word that comes from me. In other words, you're fixed on your needs day and night, moment by moment, and the centrality of your life is built around me, around the Lord. So he's saying, I don't want you to miss this. Take that with you. And then the second piece, he says, when you get there and things start to go well, don't miss out. You need to be grateful because if you're not grateful and you're not thanking the Lord for it, you will begin to think you did it on your own. And that brought us to last week where we looked at how pride plays a role. And so this week, we're going to look at the final section of this chapter, and I would say it's taking pride and kind of exploding it outward into something even more significant. And before I even give you picture or help to that, I, I want to say this again about this passage. Like, for me, this caution is so important for us where we live in the time we live. Because if ever there were a place that people would say could be a land of promise, it's where we live. If ever there were a time of greater advantages and abundance, I don't think it'd be a time before this. And so we know we have the danger of moving into a land of promise and ease in some ways and miss out on what God might say to us. So that's the admonition as we go in. Now I want to give you this picture to kind of expand on what pride does to us. Several years ago in the Wall Street Journal, 
Uh, there was an article written basically interviewing someone who'd worked for the CIA and, and knew how to turn people to become double agents. In other words, they might have come to live here and been from another country, but they were exposed to that country's kind of secrets. And so they tell how the CIA basically built these people to become loyal to them. And they, they very simply said this, what we do is we find out what they're most either vulnerable to or proud of. In other words, we go where their ego is and we both manipulate and build that up and we gain their loyalty. And this is how one of them shared one particular story. He said a man who was older and he was very much struggling. He was feeling insignificant and unworthy and unusable. And he shared just a few little small things with me. He hadn't gone far down any trust factor of the country he'd been from. He said, so what I told him, which wasn't true, was that when we shared it with the White House, they were raving about it, and now you have the president's ear. And that man went from feeling less worthy to suddenly inflated and proud and purposeful, and guess where his loyalty went? To exactly what they wanted. Now, I tell you that to say any land we live in, any place we live, any culture we're a part of, there are different elements working. One of them is what's inside of us. In other words, there's brokenness and darkness. That's when we talk about pride inside of us. There are also people outside of us that will literally want to exploit and pull that away. Or we might even say the enemy, the devil does that. And then there's culture itself that will pull us in different directions. And so I simply want you to, with me, as we take this kind of final look, and look, I think a little more in probably the most significant caution, I want you to embrace it and go, is it possible in the very world I live in, I'm more connected to the culture around, the world around, the way of life around than I am to who God is. And so this is very much a, a wonderful holy two-by-four for all of us today. So I know it snowed a lot last night. You're welcome. You're going to get rained on a bit more now. Here we go. He reminds us, as we get into verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hand is have produced this wealth for me. <laughs> I want you to add to it. Would you not even maybe just say your power? You said my intellect. What do you said? My grit. My sheer innovative skill. My fill in the blank. And let's just start here. Inside of us, when things go well, do we not have a propensity to become more proud and inflated and think of something more that we are because of what we've done. You might even say that we live out of transaction, that the more we do, the better we feel. Can we just agree we've got that battle inside of us? You know, that's the battle of Adam and Eve, in case you don't know. Adam and Eve are made to reign over the earth, to be the ones to watch over it with God as king, and they go, well, no, 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 we don't want you to be king. We want to be king and queen. In other words, we want to be elevated to our own place. Is that not the human condition? Well, the answer is yes, just in case you don't know. It is the human condition. Let's all agree. Can you say you're one win away from becoming a serious, problematic, proud person? You are. I'm just telling you you are, okay? There's also the things outside of us that create this. I, I want you to consider with me just the kind of what do we make of our heroes? What are the stories we tell in the world around us? You know what they are? They're people who overcome and are self-made. They're people who have difficult beginnings and they work hard enough and they find a way through and they build something that is just kind of amazing. And when you get to the end of the story, you're like, I am impressed with who that person is. They're mavericks. They're rebels. 
we honor as they rise up and rise out and stand out. They're made from another kind of stock. That's what we tell ourselves. Those are our heroes, which means the world around us is saying, work harder, do better, find new ways, find innovation, and you will what? Be better, you'll rise above. Now that either leaves us in a place where we're trying to get there or we are ahead, or it leaves us in a place where we look and go, I'll never get there, and therefore I must be less than. He's cautioning us. He's saying, you guys don't realize, but when things start to go well and you start to accomplish things, you get the wrong idea. <laughs> you know, Jesus said to his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. Which we go, I can do a whole lot apart from Jesus, can't we all? What he means is you can't do anything that's actually substantive or lasting. What we do just doesn't get there. Feeling pretty excited so far? Good, good. So we're, we're reminded of this thing that's working against us. It's inside of us. It's around us. And the very culture we live in, in the land of plenty, in the land of promise, our heroes are the ones who do the best. Now, he continues in kind of the admonition and caution. Remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the very ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. By the way, the word ability in the Hebrew means strength. In other words, God's the one that gives you the very strength of your body, the very strength of your soul, strength of your mind, the strength of your creativity. Our creator made us, right? So it's saying God's the one who made you. He gives you breath. Now, I want you to understand, you can say, I'll remember him, and we even went back to the gratitude. I'm going to give thanks. But you know there's two ways to give thanks, don't you? One way is, God, I can't believe what you're doing. I'm so grateful for what's happened in here. You are the author of this. The other one is, God, I am so thankful. Man, you did a good job making me. I'm pretty slick. You must be proud of this work. That other one, eh, it's okay. You know, everybody on the line when they're making things has a few bad ones. It's just like, I must be a special one. Now, maybe you're more significant, I guess, not significant, maybe you're more sophisticated in how you tell God that. But can we all agree that it's really easy when things go well to act like you're thanking God? But what you're doing is saying, God, thanks that I'm awesome. That's a danger. That's what he's saying. When you start to see that you are the author of this, you are the creator of this, and you don't understand it in the, the beauty of who God is, you basically are doing like Adam and Eve did and saying, I'm my own king. I'm my own queen. I don't need. In fact, sometimes we just can even look at God and go, you know, I know there's a lot of people you made, but man, aren't you glad you got one that's just kind of a cut above the rest? Junior partner? Don't worry, I don't really feel this way. You're looking at me like, what's wrong with this dude? He's got some serious issues. I have serious issues, just those aren't it. So I, I want you to understand this is a caution in a world that everything around us and even inside of us will push us to elevate to perform, to have transaction that somehow will be better if, as long as, and what we do. Jesus actually has a scene in one of the stories he tells. He tells a, a story that gives a picture of this. There, he tells about two people who go to the synagogue, and he says one of them is a religious leader. And the guy walks in and goes, God, thank you. There's a, there's a tax collector in the room, and, and the guy knows that one's got to be subpart of God. He goes, I'm, thanks that I'm not like that one. And by the way, thanks that I do the things I'm supposed to. I fast, I, do, I give my alms, I do all the parts I'm supposed to, I pray. 
And basically the whole prayer is, God, thanks that you made me better than you made them. That's the prayer, literally. The other one over here that's a mess and broken, it says he beats his chest and says, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a mess and I need you. And what's funny is the one had a great experience being in the community of faith and the other had a horrible one. But which one does Jesus applaud? The one that's honest, that doesn't elevate himself because I see my brokenness and I need you. Jesus is making it clear, man, do not elevate yourselves. And when you live in the land of promise that operates out of promise and that operates out of what we do is what we're valued for and what we accomplish makes us better or the lack of it worse, it will be really easy to forget that God's even the one that helps us get stuff done. I feel like I should pause, but you're just so quiet and All right, I'll keep going. He says, if you ever forget the Lord, if you ever forget the Lord your God, and then he tells what happens actually when we do. We follow other gods and we worship and we bow down to them. He says, I'm testifying against you today that you'll surely be destroyed. Now we'll come back to what this means because it comes back in the next verse. So not just once, you get to hear about destruction twice, which for all those who've grown up in any kind of legalistic, harsh culture, you're like, oh, seriously, you're going to smack me down? I think it's much bigger than that. So... I don't think it will be a smack the way you're fearful. But let me just talk for a minute about the idea that we, when we forget God, this idea that we follow other gods, you may go, we're modern people. We don't believe in all these deities. We don't make idols and deify. But let me ask it to you a different way. Because here's how you make other gods. When something because becomes you must have it, when something becomes something you must work for, when something becomes I need this in order to, Guess what that is? It's a God. And here's how our culture rolls. This is how you'll know you have a God if every time you're working on it, you're almost there. I'm not quite there. I'm almost there. This is what I'm working on. I'm almost there. And I want to give image to this, but I want you to understand when we keep feeling pressure, like there's no way I can get enough done. There's no way I can do enough. I'm going to keep giving myself to this. It becomes an idol because what we're saying is in order for life to go well, this must be true. So let me, in our wonderful land of promise, just throw some things out to you that might be God's for us. Do you think any of us make our kids' life of opportunity and success a God? Have you ever said as a parent, everyone else is having their kids do all of these things, and if I don't, I am letting my kids down and not doing enough. Have you ever thought if I don't make enough money or do enough to give them all the opportunities, I am not building up the success and life they should have? In other words, I've talked to people who work two different jobs who go in severe debt because if this doesn't work the way it should for my kids to have all they have and to win they succeed, I have not truly lived in the land of promise. Can you see how that becomes a small g God. How about th- things like work success? How many of us have taken on a work life? I, I, I meet people today, and it used to be you were embarrassed to be called a workaholic. Now it's kind of a badge of honor. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a workaholic. Pretty good about that. You know, I like to work. I love to work. Work, 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 work. Do you have a family? I don't know. Work, 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 work. I'm providing for them. Do you ever get in I don't know. I'm, are you preoccupied? I don't know. I'm work, work, work. I love work. What we do is we say, you know what, whatever work demands, 
I will keep going in. And by the way, this is what I've seen over and over. Every success is not a mark of how great that we succeeded. It's just a benchmark that you have to do better, isn't it? Have you ever had this? I win. Oh, crud, what am I going to win next? What do I have to do now to do better? Because that's not the new beginning because you are almost there. Can we agree that we have little G gods because we say I must have in order to? How about our reputations? One thing I think that's so much more about this is now we give image to it by what we post. <laughs> you want to have a good reputation? Hey, I want to be a family man. Hey, I'm at my kid's game. Can you take the phone and take a shot of me cheering them on? Way to go. And you get it on video. I got to show that to everybody because they got to see what a great dad I am. But I will never videotape the time in the, the minivan that I did and said some things I don't think anyone should hear, including my children. Because we want to project an image I mean, I, I'm sorry, I, I watch what we all post, me included. It's like, we want to give the highlight reel to everybody. Like, I'm sorry, that is not life. Do you ever see things, you know, they must have a great life. You're like, I don't think so. But man, they sure found the highlight film. Like, we want reputation becomes our own God. I want people to think well of me. And by the way, that can fan out in lots of directions. How about how many of us want to live pain-free and comfortably? I'm doing everything I can to have the most comfortable, easy, enjoyable life. Can that become a God? Are you guys having fun yet? Because I'm really having fun just tossing this out at you like, hey, anybody else feel smacked around today? Don't worry, I've been smacking myself all week with this thing. How about today in the age of our political power? Oh, I mean, if the good guys get in. This will be the place to be. If the bad guys get in, it's the world's ending. Guess what? It's not true. And you'll never get there. Never. It'll never give you what you think it will. It's really, think about it this way. It's kind of like we build a life out of commodity, out of power, and out of wealth. In other words, I must have more. It must accomplish more. I must be enough to be happy. Isn't that the promised land? No, it's not, though, really. You'll never have what you want. Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar, specifically looks at the life of Israel in bondage to Egypt and talks about the freedom God wants. And he describes Egypt this way, but I think you'll find it connects to our own day and age as he talks about commodity. He says the way of mammon, which is what Jesus talks about, kind of this pursuit of accomplishment and achievement and life and power, he says, capital and wealth is the way of commodity. In other words, everything we do is a transaction. What does it get us to? What do we get from it? That is the way of endless desire, endless productivity, and endless restlessness without any Sabbath. In other words, it never ends. There's never a break. There's never true rest. Jesus taught the disciples you can't have both. You can't live for commodity and live for God. You can't live trying to achieve enough. In other words, the more we get proud of ourselves, the more we get entangled into a life of commodity and achievement and fatigue. Just so you know, I'm tired just saying it. Anybody else tired in it? Can we agree we are in a very tiring place? I have not tell you the last time I talked to somebody how they're doing, they go, you know, I am really, I'm in a good place right now. I'm balanced. My life is really focused. It is primarily one 
complaining session after another of how overly busy we are, and that's if they can even stay attentive enough to answer, because what are we doing instead? This is your phone, in case you don't know. I just tell you, okay. All right. Here's what I want to ask you, and then I'm going to show you this final part of this section, and hopefully give us, I mean, really ask the Spirit to kind of lead us. You have to ask the question of what are you building? And I don't just mean a house. I mean, what are you building in your life? What are you building into? What are you trying to accomplish? Because one of the things I've, I've come to realize is most of us, many of us, we're accomplishing what we think we're supposed to because everything around us and everyone around us has dictated that for us. In other words, get on the track or you're going to get behind. And I'm not even sure we are aware of what we're accomplishing or not. We just feel like we have to do it. And then you ask who it's for. Who's it for? What am I trying to do? Now, Moses takes it a little farther out. He says, like the nations the Lord destroyed before, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. And I get concerned when we read things like this because we primarily think of it as God's watching. And if we don't try to be with him and we don't thank him, he's kind of just waiting to point the big old lightning rod and take us out. Now, the word destroyed here is very interesting, and it, it means to get lost, to go astray, or even be carried off. And, and this is what I want you to understand, at least this is the way I really see this, is it's not so much that God's kind of waiting to take us out, is the natural course of events will take us out by how we live. Like, we'll be destroyed because we're going to something that can never satisfy and ultimately takes us out and down. That's what Paul said, by the way, in Romans. Paul writes this letter to the early church. He says, listen, people get given over to what they want. They kind of decide what's right and what's wrong. They they get left over to their own desires that aren't godly in any way, and it brings their own demise. And what I want you to understand, what I hope we can gain today, is this is an invitation. God's saying to Moses, to the people of Israel, man, you stay fixed and focused on who I am. You learn to be grateful. You be careful because when you're in a place that has much to offer, You will take of it, and then it will become its own God in your life. In other words, you will get so entrapped in this that you will lose the land of promise. (laughs) This is what I'd say I think it becomes. I think the land of promise can become the new Egypt. It's crazy. I don't think God takes us and he physically puts us back in a land of slavery. But could we agree that maybe we're more enslaved than we think to this life of freedom and all the things we have that are supposed to help us. I always picture Satan working like a whole team of mafia people. Hey, hey, you know what? Here's what we should do. They're getting some advanced stuff. Let's give them email at work. Let's start there. All, sat- all satanic forces are from New York, in case you don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. <laughs> Someone should edit me. Uh, amen, Yeah. It's too late. Uh, yeah, we'll give them to them, and then what happens? So it'll help them do work for a while, but then let's just keep giving it to them and keep giving it to them. Pretty soon, email's going to run their lives. Oh, let's not just stop there. Hey, let's add text messaging to it. Let's make another way they can engage in their life and work. Let's even tell them, you know what? Take a vacation as long as you're still connected to your devices. Let's even rob them of that. And then let's give them technology. They won't know what they're doing with it. They'll think it's just to help them. And they're basically going to become zombies looking at the dumb thing. How many of you 
have ever sat in a room and said, let's go do something, and an hour and a half later, you are still looking at your phone, scrolling and trolling. Oh, none of us. We all put them down when we get home. Don't lie to me. Can we just be honest that we are inundated and overwhelmed? Opportunity, option, environment. The problem is they're not opportunities, they're mandates. And I'm telling you, we live in our own Egypt because that's what we're building and what we're doing and we don't even see it. It takes me back to this kind of simple question, what are you building and who are you, why are you building it? Who are you building it for? You know, I think of this even as simply as when someone has an opportunity in their family. Like, I love that our kids have so much more available to them. But has anybody ever considered what's too much? Has anybody ever said maybe we're saying yes to too many things? We don't think we can. Why? Because our kids will be left behind if we don't. And you know when we'll realize that's not true? After they're grown. Because we saw it with our kids. And we're watching it now with the next generation. And this is one of those moments, I'm either the old curmudgeon that you go, oh, that dude's out, just don't listen to him, blah, blah, blah. He's angry, we're kids today. Or you can go, maybe he, I've lived a little more life and I've actually seen this. So I'm hoping you'll pick number two. If you pick number one, I know you shut me down already, but here's the deal. I'm telling you, we don't even know why we say yes or no to things anymore. We are obligated. Is that not Egypt? Man, I, I know you're, I'm not even, I'm not, not looking, I'm just looking going, kind of feels heavy, doesn't it? There's times where that's good, isn't it? Yeah, you're welcome. Okay. I want to show you just a way to think about this maybe differently. So in England, some, some century before actually, when they were living under the monarchy, which they still are, but was much stronger, there was a, there was a caution as the prime ministers were dealing, trying to let people be more empowered. And there was a statement made that every person's home is their what? Their castle. That's what it said. Now, don't forget, our history, even in the culture we're in, is pulling away from this monarchy. We love rugged independence, don't we? It's at our very nature. So we want to build our own castles in our own way in our own lives. Here's the problem is what our lives have become is not this, but this. And make no mistake, it might look good here, but can you just agree if you had that much space to deal with in any way, would you be overwhelmed? Just so you know, we don't get staffs to run this much of our lives. So what this is, it's an unsustainable castle we're building. And I don't know what sections you're building or what parts are taking over, but if you're not asking, what am I building and why am I building it? It will get pushed on you to build things you never intended in your life. And I think that's the admonition. Listen, when you go and you forget God, when you go and you don't live in this place of communion, when you go and you don't learn how to be grateful for what life is and center it around God, guess what you do? You become oppressed and beaten down and you'll never get what you intended and the land of promise becomes the land of Egypt again. I just want to give you one picture, hopefully to help us on what it can be. So this is a picture Obviously, a rendering of the tabernacle in the desert. This is when Israel lived in the desert. God had them build a tabernacle, which was very simply a place for his presence to dwell. But what I want you to see is all of their homes are built where? Around it. All of their homes are built with God in the center. Whew. Tell me that's not a picture of what we need. 
And let me remind you, if you build a tabernacle and not a castle, if you learn to put God in the middle of it, and we as a community learn what that means, guess what we do? We actually create space to be with him in the desert of life. You know, we talked about this so deeply in the first week that God intends for you to have communion with him. He intends for every single person that wants to follow Jesus and know him to be connected deeply with him. If you believe a lie that you can't be, that's exactly what it is. He's saying, I want you to tabernacle with me. You can't do that in the overwhelming busyness of your life. Whenever I talk to people about learning to be with God, the number one problem they have is, I am too busy. The second problem is I don't know how, which is something we keep addressing and will keep addressing. I just want to tell you, a tabernacle, guess what else a tabernacle does? They would regularly bring offerings to God. That's what gratitude is. Can you imagine offering to God? Let's make it our goal today. How many things can you be thankful for as you bring them to him? Can, can we actually be thankful for snow? I mean, isn't it a, it is a riot to have snow, isn't it? Yeah, but we act like it's not, oh, snow, I like it for two weeks, and that's horrible. I love, I've told this, I love using my snowblower. I thank God that I have a big old snowblower. I can just go after that stuff. It's fun. I'm thankful for that. It doesn't mean everything bad you have to be, can we just start looking for things to be thankful for? And if we're in a tabernacle, we're facing God going, I want to thank you for this, and I want to thank you for that, and I want to just be grateful for what I have and who I am in you. That's a tabernacle. The thing I don't want us to miss either, though, is they're together in this process. This is one of the things that kills me. We live so individually. Think of all the pressures you have to do things that probably you shouldn't and don't have time for, and you are alone. Don't you think in the years of raising kids, we need to be together? So we just can walk together, and man, I don't know how to tackle this one. I ache because I don't want to miss something for my kids, but I also don't know how to build our life this way. How are we doing? Don't you think it's helpful if we're walking together in it? When we're in singleness and we have all the demands, poor single people in West Michigan, it's like, oh, you're single. You basically are ours for whatever we need, anytime, anywhere. No, no, we need to be coming together and helping them for different phases of life. Don't you think it would help if we were in the community together? Don't you think we need to be telling each other, dude, I appreciate you, but you're kind of dialing it up a little too much. The head needs to come down a little bit. You're a little too big for your britches. Get off the platform. Don't you think when people are beaten down, we need to say, you are so worthwhile and worthy. You didn't have to win that to be worthy. That's a tabernacle. That's what we're to have. That's why the land of promise, man, if we don't realize it, we're going to not even ask what we're building and who we're building it for. And we will very simply build castles and not tabernacles. See, it's not, it's not an angry admonition like God's like, I can't believe you. It's don't you realize that when you do this, it will destroy you anyway. And when you center around me, it's the only thing that actually will give you life. The best thing God gives us is himself. Not the dreams you want or the things you want to move ahead in. It's him. And the reason we don't know it is we don't know him well enough. All right. I want to pray for us. And I really want to give us space for the Holy Spirit. Maybe God will lead you in some way. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And just whatever willingness you are, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And then I want to pray for us. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to speak. I pray for any among us who don't really know Jesus and are living in this 
un, <laughs> unwavering, exhausting world of constant striving and trying to be enough. So, Lord, I am praying that those that don't know you, they'd want to know your love and forgiveness. And just be able to say, I, I can't do enough and be enough. Lord, forgive me and meet me. And they'd want to say, you're king. That's all it is. Just say, you're my king, Lord. And then, God, would you meet those among us today that say they follow you, but they've kind of become their own king or queen. Would you take those areas of pride and begin to break them down and help us to surrender those things that we are enamored in our own life with or of ourselves with? Then, God, would you give us strength and wisdom to know what we're building and who we're building it for? And I don't even know which step we're to take, but would you lead each home, each family, each individual? What's a place you're calling them to begin to build tabernacle instead of castle? To be centered on you, to discover you. Lord, I pray they would know the blessing of who you are, and that would become more significant than any of the things we're striving for. Would you meet us to that end in your name? Amen. As we do, we give a little space at the end to worship and to celebrate communion. So I want to invite you to stand. And this is a place, too, when we're singing, often God will speak to you. You may even have a sense of his presence or his goodness or even his kind of conviction as we sing together. And then we'll celebrate communion in that as part of it.
me invite you to be seated just for a few minutes. Hopefully you were able to get one of the cups when you came in. That's what we use for communion. There's bread in the top and the, the drink beneath that. We don't have any stipulations that you have to be a member here to celebrate communion. We want you to be pursuing Jesus. This is considered a sacred activity, a sacrament we do together. It's really the centering activity we do together. You want to know where the center of meaning is? It's in what Jesus did. It's the God who says, I love you so much, I will lay down my life for you. It isn't one who looks at you and goes, once you fix this, once you do better, then you will fix it and make up for it. He says, I know in your brokenness you never could. And I not only love you so much, even in your brokenness, I want to be connected to you. And he died to forgive and rose to live with us, <laughs> that we would live with him. What we celebrate is that he is better than anything else will ever work towards. That's what we do at communion. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and he gave thanks. He said, this is my body given for you. Greater love has no one than to lay down their life for a friend. Let's take. In the same way he took the cup, he said, it's a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Then you drink this, you remember me. You remember how much I love you, forgive you, and offer the sweet taste of new life to you to bring to others. Let's take of the cup. And be clear, even as we sing for his favor and his blessing, the best blessing he gives is himself. So let me have you stand and let's proclaim this together, fixing and even asking him to reveal who he is to us as we sing.
One command God gives to Israel in all their feasts is when they're tabernacling, he tells them they should have joy. <laughs> because the end of that feast is them being with him at the center all around them. <laughs> That's the best thing he gives us. All the trappings and all that's around us will never give us what only he can. Man, I don't, I don't care if it's a promised land or a desert. That's what I want. That's what I want for us. So I simply want to give you a blessing, just the blessing of his very presence and life in you if you place your hands out. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ continually fill you with the Spirit. <laughs> May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the very fellowship of the Spirit be in us and be given to others through us for his glory and our joy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.